0: Everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up, the game Ten Guy Machio, aka Far East of Eden, just got a full English translation, care of Lipumco Translations. Really sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but this is a pretty awesome thing because this was the first RPG ever released on CD-ROM, as Jimmy Hoppa taught us just a few months ago when he released a video on this. And also, this is the o- one of the only games in the series to get an English translation. I believe the only other one was a Neo Geo fighting game, and that wasn't a full RPG game. So, obviously translations and and text and the entire storyline of the game is a massive part of RPGs more so than pretty much any other type of game so these were essentially unplayable unless you could read Japanese or unless you were willing to hold your cell phone up for every single page for an on-the-fly translation. But So this is a pretty awesome thing and a pretty big deal. Also, um, one of the developers that worked on it published an extensive collection of cut items and Easter eggs over on the cutting room floor. So this is just one of those things where... If you're into RPGs at all, at the very least, check out Jimmy Hopper's post. If you're into this game or if you're more curious about it, absolutely watch that awesome video he released a few months ago, which is also linked in the post. And if not, if you're just a curious gamer, it's probably still worth skimming because I guarantee you've probably heard Ten Guy Makio at some point in your life. So being able to get more info on what it was and type of game it was and what it looked like it's always kind of a fun thing especially when you know all your friends kind of know about something like this which happens to me all the time with RPGs because people will drop a reference and then look at me and I'll I'll stare there stare at them blankly like I don't know what you're talking about and it's always the what do you mean you've never and yeah RPGs aren't really my thing but I absolutely respect the genre and everything that goes into them especially what would go into translating something like this so very cool that this is available for people now. Someone just released a full PC port of Zelda Link's Awakening, and it is really, really impressive. Tons of crazy features like widescreen support, unlocked frame rates, custom button mapping for items and weapons, and the ability to zoom out, including zooming all the way out to the full island if you would like to, and you could try to play the game that way, but it was just an unbelievable port, and it included source code for it. There's just so many things you could do with this, and. I just got a chance to play it for a few seconds, and it was so impressive, and it's something that I really want to make time at some point to go back and play. I really liked the original as a kid. I played it on the original Game Boy. That's how old I am. Uh, I don't remember playing the DX version until after I'd started Retro RGB, but I liked that a lot, too. I actually loved the Switch version, so I'm really interested to trying this as well and it just seems so cool for absolutely any fan of the game. Um, now, of course, you know, Nintendo put out a cease and desist and deleted the page, but there was enough time for everybody to download it, and it's uploaded in many, many, many different places, so, you know, that should be expected, and it always kind of makes me roll my eyes when people are like, oh, well, of course, big Nintendo stepped in to crush it. Yeah, of course you can't redistribute a version of their intellectual property that they're still selling a version of on the shelves. And obviously the person who made this planned for all of this because uh, the way they set this up, the way the source code was in there, the way the release was done, um, it's not somebody that was naively thinking, well, maybe Nintendo will forgive me for this. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. They did it right. They did it awesome. And this will be floating around forever. And uh, you know, this is one of those things where... I don't think that's a bad thing. I think this is going to do nothing but promote Link's Awakening and probably get more people to buy the Switch version. And Nintendo probably thinks so too, but they can't just let this sit up on normal servers. So I completely understand all sides of this, and it's just really exciting. So uh, if you want to see more info on this um, or even the trailer, check out Donald's posts uh, and you know just some creative searching, and you should definitely be able to find the download. Next up, Greg from LaserBear just released a wall mount kit and a fan kit for the Retro Tink 4K, and you probably don't need the fan kit. No disrespect whatsoever to Greg. I just want to make sure I'm clear about that. I'll give details in a second. But first, the wall mount is $40, comes with absolutely everything you would need, and it's just the perfect addition if you're looking to mount the Tink 4K somewhere, whether it's in a rack or just on your wall behind your setup or whatever. If you're looking for a wall mount, it's the, probably the perfect thing to look for for now. Um, there's also cable relief uh, or strain relief in back, um, places to put cable ties. Greg really thought this one through and it definitely came out great. Also, there's a fan kit, which is about 30 bucks for the fan plus the kit. You have to buy them separate, but Greg sells them both. I think this was cool just because that way, if you happen to have one of these fans laying around, you don't need to buy it, Uh, but most of us are not going to, so you could just buy them all in the same place and save on shipping. Um, Now, about the fan, though. Greg did this specifically for people who are going to be mounting the Tink 4K, in. Precarious places, upside down, underneath something, behind something, in a closed rack, basically places where there are very poor ventilation, that you would want the peace of mind of more airflow going into your Tink 4K. And if that's the case, then the fan installation is kind of tricky but something that you should consider. It's not as easy as the OSSC Pro where you basically just unbolt a couple things, bolt a fan in its place and you're done. You have to solder the connector in, you have to you have to do some installation to it, but it if you, basically, if you're a modder, this is not really a big deal, but this isn't something somebody who's never touched a soldering iron should do, just because of the price of the Tink 4K. But it's not something that you would really, <coughs> excuse me, need unless you were, if you, unless you knew for sure that it was going to be mounted in a place that had very poor airflow. Even if you live in a hotter climate, if it's just sitting on your rack or on your desk or in your, you know, alongside of your consoles like everybody else's, I don't think I would ever worry about heat for this. I've been putting this thing through its paces throughout the summer too and really trying it out and it never got hot enough to worry about but at least we have fan options if they're available i would just consider mounting uh, which mounting location in all of the testing that i've done for thermal testing in a situation like this where you, you have a fan sitting on top of a processor i have it an intake fan taking fresh air from the outside blowing onto the processor for situations like you want to add a fan to your rgb monitor those I generally like exhaust fans as you're pulling extra heat away from all of the components because you're not so much focused on one component like you are in this setup same thing with a PC and everything else. Uh, you're you know or one or two components with a PC obviously but uh, you you just want to cool the whole thing. but if you're really worried about something like that then I would just buy a cheap thermal probe, stick it on and do some tests. Uh, But those are just my guesses, and just kind of wanted to share that with everybody. So Tink 4K users, you have a wall mount and a fan kit if you need it. The Video Game History Foundation just gave us a first look at what to expect for their 2024 public access to their digital library. And the library director, Phil Salvador, did a video that walked everybody through what magazine types might be available, how you could search the content. Um, what other archives might be available, and how you could cross-reference between them. I'm really not doing it justice. Honestly, Selena's post did a way better job than I'm doing right now, but basically, if you were interested in what the Video Game History Foundation is going to do for us after the donations and the help, this is a really great window into exactly that. Because with respect, I've heard a lot of people say, in a positive way and in a negative way, like, Why do people donate to VGHF? What do they do? You know, do they just donate to stockpile a bunch of magazines and ROMs? You know, why why should people donate? And to be honest, most of the time I've heard that was in a positive spin. Like, help us tell people why you know, what you're going to be doing and why you're important. And I think this video and what they're going to be doing in the upcoming year is going to be the, the best example of that. So definitely check it out if you're interested. I, th- I thought it was very cool how, how the entire thing is kind of just tied together. Uh, the one thing that I would like to see is maybe some other way to highlight the content that content creators might be making with this, as well as VGHF. So if it were me personally, if I wanted to show something that was in their archive, I would just capture a web window in OBS so that you could see me going to the Video Game History Foundation website, bringing up the content I was referencing and show the reference. You couldn't possibly credit somebody any better, any any better, wow, sharp again this week, huh? <laughs> any any better than that, because than you're literally going showing people where you're going to get the info. Uh, so maybe there's just a... A prettier way to do that, an easier way to do that. So Uh, people will know that you're not just finding a rare version of Nintendo Power that was perfectly and flawlessly scanned to show a reference. You know, people would know that that's how this information was available is because of VGHF. So who knows? Maybe they'd put a little thought into that, or maybe they already have, and um, I just missed it in the video. I don't know. But definitely check out Selena's post in that video if you want more info, and I'm really looking forward to the public access release of this, which once again should be sometime in 2024. QWERTY Moto now has stock of his SNES Digital Audio mod available. If you're unfamiliar with how SNES Digital Audio works, definitely stay to the end of this so I could quickly run through it. If you're already an expert, here's what makes QWERTY's version different than the others you may have seen. First, the price is $40 plus shipping. It's compatible with any of the SAPU audio chips. So not the original with the SHVC motherboards. You probably just need to pop yours open and check which one you have, but any of the One chips or Minis should be compatible with it. And it uses a 3.5 millimeter mini Toslink jack in order to get the output, which means if you're using an SNES mini or junior, you still have to cut a hole in order to mount it. But if you're using an original fat SNES, like the one chips, you should be able to put it in place of the RF jack, which is awesome because that makes it a no cut mod. The mini toast link jack allows for two different types of outputs though, which is pretty awesome. One is just a standard optical output. So, you know, if you look in the red lights shining through it, it just uses 3.5 millimeter connector on one end and a standard squarish one on the other. I, leave, uh, I left a link to the exact one that I use with my mister that works exactly like every other spit of cable I've ever used. But this also allows for RCA digital audio. So if you ever have an amp or speakers or anything it needs digital audio via that method, this can do it just by picking up one of those cables, which I linked to as well. So that's pretty cool that it's dual output like that. Uh, So that's basically what you need to know about QWERTYs. Now, if you don't know anything about SNES digital audio, there's a few caveats to this. Um, First and foremost, uh, it's not compatible with the um, Super Game Boy because that generates its own audio on the cartridge itself and routes that through and mixes in with the analog output. And same with MSU1 audio on the FX Pack Pro. If you played an MSU1 game with a digital audio out, you would only get everything except the CD quality audio, and there's really no easy way to mix that in that would be any better than just using shielded audio cables anyway. Um, Now, every other game that you would play off of the FX pack would work perfectly. The only other thing to note, though, is the signal that the SNES generates, the audio signal, is not a perfectly standard audio signal, and not all amps will be compatible with it. So I've had so many amps, speakers, and everything else that just worked perfect, and I ran into one or two that just did nothing when you plugged in the SNES digital audio. So it's just something you got to deal with. I've had friends that had the opposite. They tried five or six amps, including just going to buy some crappy ones at Goodwill just to see if it worked. And one out of the six worked. Uh, so it's really kind of hit or miss. So I always thought it was worth it. And I the, the biggest reason I thought it was worth it was for the lack of any analog noise whatsoever. And anybody that's ever used Mr. through, uh, especially like the Retro Castle case, which has a really nice DAC in there, even a pretty good audio DAC as well, if you plug it through an amp, uh, you're going to sound like awesome analog audio. But if you use the mini link jack and you get digital audio out of it, it is very different. Some people like it, some people don't. It's really up to you. Uh, I think it really just depends on the situation. Sometimes crystal clear audio is awesome, and other times the warmth of the original is probably something that adds to it. I think for me, Sega Genesis with that, you know, a good quality analog audio output would probably always be my favorite. But I've owned most of my SNESs with a digital audio mod since I first found out that was even possible and really, really appreciated that as well. So it's gotta be completely up to you to decide which one you prefer. But check out the post if you're interested. And if you want to hear more from QWERTY, we did a couple of interviews. The first one, I I screwed up the audio, so he kind of came out sounding like Kylo Ren. But this one, this one's better. So if you want to hear more from QWERTY, either search any podcast app for Retro RGB QWERTY Moto or just click on the video right here. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just gonna skim through these and give my thoughts where I feel like, but if you want visual examples and more details, please check out Lou's video. First up, Uber Yoji just released the boot ROM he's been working on for the PlayStation Core, so you can get that and all the other ones that he's made right on GitHub or by adding a line to downloader INI. These are great for people that just want Animations when their co- uh, when their core loads, but also I think it's something that all people who stream with the Mister should consider because that way every time you switch cores or you load up a core or something, you have something for your audience to look at. You don't want a stream with a whole bunch of black screen dropouts, like you know my streams. So loading these things up, uh, I think is a really good thing. I think you should probably figure out how to do it. I am very embarrassed to say I haven't had time to do it yet. So I'd love to figure out a way to just easily add this just to have them all kind of start. I wonder if there's a way to do that through update all. Maybe that's something that could be added so that you could have it automatically add them whenever Uber Uber Yoji makes them and have them auto boot for each core after they download. I don't know. I'll have to look into that a little bit, but definitely something that at the very least streamers really need to take a look at, but everybody else might be interested in as well. Next up, Anton Gale showed off a screenshot of the in-development Exidy 2 core, and its 6502 CPU implementation is running on Targ ROM code correctly. So this is still an in-development thing, but Anton always likes to show steps in real time, which I personally think is awesome. So thanks, Anton. Next up, there are two games for the next Mr. FPGA Discord challenge, DOS Classics, Dangerous Dave in the Haunted Mansion, and Slordax. So if you're a DOS fan and you're in the Mr. Discord and you want to participate in the game challenge, definitely check that out. Next, Pixel Cherry Ninja conducted another interview, this one with mister Addons. If you're interested in learning more about them, check out the interview. No word if there's a name or face reveal yet. (laughs) Uh, Next, the N64 core has fixed a bug that used to crash games developed on the open source LibDragon development library. One of those games is Xenocrisis. So basically another week and another awesome addition from Robert. So thank you very much for continuing the work on this. Next up, Wizzo looks to be working on adding more cool features to the NFC support keep saying NFT. I don't know why. NFC, like Charlie. <laughs> Nate, Fred, Charlie. NFCs. Uh, but this one is the uh, ability, or one of the things that are showed off is the ability to create new tags from the game search results, which would be a really cool time saver. So I would love to, at some point next year, check out NFC stuff and uh, see how I could integrate that into my Mr. Setup. But anybody that's been at my house recently knows that my Misters are always in many pieces for all of the tons of projects I'm working on them with. Uh, next, to Track 17 teased some upcoming announcements for the FPGA gaming and arcade community. And it looks like there's at least some CPS2 announcements coming because there's a picture of the CPS2 screen shown or the CPS2 chip was shown. Next, Hotegu has a thread talking about the new approach that's being used to implement the Neo Geo Pocket CPU. He got fed up debugging the former CPU design and now is much more confident in using the new approach. So definitely check out the thread if you like reverse engineering talk or basically just if you like knowing how these cores get to be made. These are A lot of work goes into these and I, I really appreciate all of them. And I'm definitely looking forward to trying out the Neo Geo Pocket Core when it's ready. And lastly, if you're in the Houston, Texas area, the Mars team said that Texas Showdown 2024 is going to also have a Mars demo there. So you should be able to to check that out if you're going to the fighting game event. So that's it for this week. Uh, Lou is going to be on vacation and taking the next two weeks off, so we'll see him on January 8th, I believe. His next video will be posted. So as always, thank you so much, Lou, for doing this for us. I, there's no chance I could keep up with all that Mr. News. So enjoy your vacation, rest up, have fun, and we're looking forward to seeing you when you get back. My Life and Gaming just posted their review on the Analog Duo. And it kind of mimics what I always say about analog consoles. If you're looking to use your original cartridges, or cue cards in this case, and your original disks, then this is definitely something that you should consider, especially if you were looking to buy an original Duo, but don't want to worry about leaking capacitors and CD-ROM drives and all the headache that goes into those. And in fact, if you were looking to start from scratch and you didn't even own an original Duo, this would be Far far cheaper than trying to find one, having it restored, and all that other stuff. However, uh, the EverDrive doesn't fit unless you take the case apart on it. Uh, I believe one one reviewer tried to put it in backwards and blew theirs out or something, which I can't believe they admitted that in the review. They shouldn't be doing reviews if they did that. Uh, And also, you know, there's no jailbreak out for it yet. And there, while the overall menu system and everything is pretty cool, it wasn't everything you would want from a fully featured, holy crap, this is everything I need from a Duo type of setup. And I don't mean that with disrespect. I just always like to put this stuff into context. If you want ROMs and ISOs in every option imaginable, get a Mr. If you want to use your original stuff, then this seems like a very good option. Uh, Mark did a, a really detailed and absolutely awesome post um, that I'm not doing justice. The video was excellent as well. I watched every minute of it. And it's just, in fact, the video was so good, I was going to do a live stream. My One of my friends... Uh, asked me to occasionally get analog stuff because of time zone things, and I have one of them sitting right there, and I think I'm just going to ship it on over. I don't think there's anything I could possibly check out or add that My Life and Gaming didn't cover in this. So if you're interested, I-, I strongly recommend reading the post, checking out the video, and basically getting it every way you possibly could because this sums up everything you would need to know about it I guess the only other thing that's kind of a little bit of a spoiler, but they show it right away is the color of the white is meant to match the original coloring of the off white, PC engine. It's not like a bright white color, which definitely surprised me and certainly wasn't what I expected when I placed the order for my friend. So, we'll see how that all goes. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean any disrespect by any of the things that I just said. If anything, every word I just said were compliments in that, you know, yeah, this is something for people that want to use their original stuff. I believe CDRs work and CDRWs work as well, I think. Uh, but that's, you know, that's you would have to add some pretty pretty crazy protection to have that not work. It would be silly for that. But so at the very least, you'd be able to play like the Rondo English translation or something on uh, you know, any of that stuff that's, that's out there and hacked. But I do think that this is an awesome device. It looks cool. I think, um, I just don't think it's, for Mr. People. And I mean that with love. If you want every option, you have that. You have that ability. If you want all original hardware because you just want the original experience, that's certainly a more expensive but an option. And if you want something that's kind of in the middle, that's what this is. So I think the price is fair, the features are fair, and I think it definitely hits its market. Um, it just would have been very cool if Open FPGA was in this because could you imagine having access to the CD-ROM drive as well? Can you imagine being able to, I I don't know. I I just, I was definitely disappointed when that was not included, so we'll see. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in absolutely any way, because it really is you who is keeping all of this going. So thank you all so much, and I will see you next week. This week's roundup is brought to you by Neo Paradigm Entertainment connecting Southeast Asian influencers with opportunities in the West.